This morning is February 3rd. It is 2008. Our guest speaker this morning is Wade Sutherland. He's one of those guys that uh, I've been truly blessed to know. I don't want to give him a lengthy introduction because many of you know him, but I want you to understand the way in which the fabric of his life has intertwined with mine, so you'll know why you're hearing him today. About 10 years ago, I met Wade, and uh, we've experienced some wonderful years together and some difficult years together. When you get to know someone's characters when you've been in the press with them and seen when they're squeezed, what comes out? One of the things that I can honestly say and those of you that know me very well know I don't throw around these kind of compliments very often, is there's a banner above his life that says integrity. Integrity is defined by doing what is right when no one is looking. And uh, the man and his family walk in integrity. Uh, there are lots of accomplishments in his life you can talk about, from being a drum major at LSU to too many academic accomplishments to name. It would embarrass him. When I met him, he was a youth pastor. One of the difficult things for people who are already in ministry is to realize that at times it's beneficial for them to become a student. And one of the things that Wade and Christie did very well is they had an obvious passion for the Lord, but they thought that there were some things that could be added to their life if they stepped back enough to allow some others to pour into them. And uh, not long after we met, he ended up at the church where I was on staff, and it was not too many years that they were ordained. And their lives began being shaped in a way that I don't think all the power of hell could hold them back if, if it tried. Currently, he's the principal at uh, Parkview Baptist High School in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Had the uh, unique distinction of uh, graduating a bunch of us that managed to stay without getting thrown out. We're thankful for his presence there. Uh, as far as our church goes, Wade is one of a handful of people. You know, I have relatives involved in the church. They always keep us grounded. They let us know when our head's too big for our, our bodies and those kind of things. And I appreciate my in-laws and my parents for that. But we have an advisory council. These people don't wear name tags. They uh, don't wear suits at special meetings. They're just men that we trust with all of our, our hearts. And Wade is on the advisory council to our church, uh, along with other guys like Brad and Justin and some of the others you hear me speak so highly of. Truthfully, he's one of my most valued and trusted friends, and I want to tell you why. His council's trustworthy. I know that from experience. His life is holy. That's an easy thing to say, but I know that he passes the test when I say that. In, in a way that I'm envious of, actually, in a good way. His friendship to me is cherished. I want you guys to give him your undivided attention. I want you to weight his words with the same level that you would weight mine if I were speaking today. And uh, maybe even more so. He's a lot smarter than I am. And uh, we want to stretch forward our hands to him. I'm going to get him out of this awkward position of somebody else talking about him. We're going to pray for him. And then... We put the clock where you couldn't see it in this church for a reason. <laughs> you don't sit down for a meal, something you've been longing for all day, and wonder about how fast you can eat it. Sit back and enjoy. It could be that something you hear today will become part of the fabric of your life that will help you along the way. So y'all stretch forward your hands and we'll pray for it. Amen. Amen. Mighty God, I thank you.
for Wade Sutherman. Lord, I thank you for his wife, Christy. I thank you for Olivia, and I thank you for Gabe, his son. Jesus, your hand is upon them. I've watched them pressed, but have never seen them crushed. Lord, I've watched them persecuted, but there is never a time in which I have seen your spirit abandon their life or their walk. They cling to you in their times of trouble, and so their wisdom is trustworthy. I pray that you would use them as an oracle, as a mouthpiece, like a prophet of old carried along by the Spirit to speak to my church this morning, your church this morning. Lord, we love you. We love you with all of our hearts, and we pray that you empower him to that end, that the body would be edified. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. It is, it is such an honor for us to be here today, and, and some of you I know, and some of you, that's the fun part about coming back is uh, we don't get to travel this way as much as we'd like, but there's always so many new faces. It's like a, almost a whole new church every time that we come, and we're so excited about that. Um, one of the things that uh, as you go through life, I guess, I don't know if it's youth, I'll just blame it on youth, but I'll blame it on insecurity. There's, if you're insecure about who you are and who God has called you to be, you try to show what you know. As young people... Uh, my son is seven, great kid, great heart. <laughs> Look what I can do. We like showing what we know. And the older and more mature you get, not, maybe not necessarily with age, the, the more mature that you get, the more you realize, let's see what I can simplify. Let's see what we can get to a point where the seven-year-old or the ten-year-old or the fifty-year-old or the ninety-year-old can still be blessed. To me, I found more. I find more joy now at this point in my life, just trying to say. Sometimes we get clouded by a lot of different things. Let's just take a look at what the Word says, and really glean something that we can actually put into practice. Let's do something today. Let's learn something today that will impact the kingdom for eternity. Amen. And if you string enough of those days together, that's really. I think I've just summarized the entire sermon. Thanks. We'll just close. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Good night. Uh, I realize that uh, as I've as time has gone on, again, part of the clarity that comes is I realize that uh, I am absolutely obsessed with a very small amount of things. I'm a very laid-back person, have a very slow heart rate, slow resting rate, my my body temperature is a lot lower than what it's supposed to be, 98.6, mine's like in the 97s, you know, barely 97, just everything about me is kind of laid back. But I am absolutely obsessed, completely controlled, compelled by the principle of acting in my calling of operating to the full in my calling. Not in your calling. Not in, I'm not intimidated. I'm glad for you to be called to what you are. I am obsessed with walking in my calling. I think about this every single day. Now, there are obviously points in the day where I may be focused on a task that, per, that perhaps is in front of me, but I am obsessed. I wake about. I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking about it. I, before I go to bed at night, think about it. When I'm driving to and from work, if I'm not listening to the 
have a scripture plan or, you know, reading through, uh, listening through the Bible or, or getting teaching in. So I'm thinking about it. And often, and sometimes when I'm listening to the scripture, my mind kind of drifts that way. God, am I really doing what you want me to do? What am I doing today? What have I done today, Lord, that has held that back? How are my insecurities getting in the way of this, God, where I'm just holding you back and you're really wanting to do more and I'm just stopping? Or how many times am I trying to run ahead of you and you're saying, Whoa, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And the reason that I notice that is because any time that I'm going to, that I get an opportunity to serve anywhere, teach a class, do anything, these are the thoughts that bubble up because to me, if I can get that right, if I can understand that, if let me just start off by saying this. If it were easy, if it were something that was by default that just accidentally happened because you've been in church long enough, what would the church look like? The church look like if we were all walking in our calling. What would this church look like if every one of us in this room were living fully committed, not just fully committed, but you were actually serving in a way and walking in a way that you were actually fulfilling your calling on a daily basis. And I presume that you're here for the right reason. I presume that you're here because you have a passion for God and you are serious about the deep things of God. But that's not really all that's there. That's not all that's required to fulfill that calling. Um, one of the, This thought has been going on over and over in my mind and, and it's related to the topic of the calling is the tragedy of unfulfilled potential. And I guess if I had to put a sermon title on it, which I'm never very good at titling things sometimes, would be the tragedy of unfulfilled potential. What are, One of the things that's most difficult when we see a child that's injured, when we see a child... Uh, when we hear a story of some gross tragedy towards a child, why does it impact us so much? Well, because they're child and they're helpless. Yes. Absolutely. Because it shows the perversion in the world. Yes. You're right. For me, one of the things that is in there is that that child, what, had potential. Maybe they would have been... A, I mean, even on a... Let's, let's kind of set aside the religious. You'll find that I, I really want to be more practically based. I just want to be real. I just want to be authentic wherever I am. So, I hope I don't offend you because I really try not to be religious with what I say. <laughs> of course, you wouldn't probably be here if you were into that. But <laughs> They're here for the beautiful business. <laughs> for the stained glass. <laughs> right. uh, even the world understands the potential that's in a child. And we say and try to convince them of things like this. You can do and be anything that you want to be. Now, if you really think about that, that's really not what we want to be saying to them. That's really not even true. But the idea of just unlimited potential is what we, we rejoice in. You don't want to stop a five-year-old who says that they want to grow up and be you know, an NBA star. And you look at them and you're like, sweetie, you're going to be about five foot five. <laughs> You go ahead and work on that. There are, I guess, you know, you got Muggsy Bogues. You got a few that could get there, but going, see, that's just maybe not in the cards for you. That may not be in what God has put within you, and that's okay. That may not be your calling, 
so go ahead and shoot for it now. Just explore every opportunity. But at some point, we're going to have to work on your calling too. The tragedy of unfulfilled potential for us as believers is enormous, but we are, we are much better prepared to handle it from adults. Oh, that's sad. person who has all the giftings and talents in the world, but they're lazy. Oh, that's, that's a shame. No. <laughs> that is the person who's supposed to be operating in their giftings and calling and making an impact for all eternity, and they're not doing it because they want to sit on the couch. That's a big deal but we're used to seeing it so much, we actually become and start to expect that. We expect the rich kid to not really have to work hard. We expect the poor kid to not really have the resources necessary, so we kind of just kind of leave everybody where they are. And sometimes that worldly thinking creeps into the church in the form of excuses. Well, brother, you, you know, I mean, we weren't raised in church, so we don't know all this. Okay. Well, we were raised in church and we were taught this way and we were confined in this box. Wait. You can't have it both ways. <laughs> but, but we're okay with those incongruent points. We're okay with looking at two different people and having the opposite end of the spectrum and accepting both excuses and kind of going, eh. our Our success... As we were as we were worshiping, I think one of the hardest things for us to do as believers, as believers, true people who are committed and carried out to God, is to understand that we operate in the flesh, and God is in the process of transforming us to see and view things differently. He's giving us new eyes. He's giving us a new heart. That is a transformation process. All of the analogies about marathons versus sprints come into play so much sometimes that we just... Um, when you get in a vaccine, inoculated, is that the right word? It was getting jumbled up in my head. <laughs> may not be able to get that word out. What is that? Keep you from getting the real thing. But what is it? It's the real thing. It is the real thing in such a minute dose that when you get it, your body can work through it and understand what it is. And should the real deal ever come in full force, you have been inoculated from it. Believers sometimes get inoculated to the truth. They get just enough of the truth in such a watered-down fashion that now when the real truth comes and goes, wham! Stand up! Be a man of God! They go, I can resist that. Don't worry, I have Circle, circle, dot, dot. I just had my cootie shot. <laughs> With the God of all creation staring them down. I'm calling you to do this, and you know I'm calling you to do this. Woo! That's a little much there. <laughs> that must not be God. I'm going to go over here. Don't become inoculated to the truth of God's calling to the power of His calling. It, little hint. Sorry, this is just the intro. I'll get to the notes in a second. Just a little hint here is if you can do it completely in your own, 
then you may not be walking in God's calling yet. There's always a balance to this, right? I'm not saying be foolish. I'm not saying go choose your own calling. I will now start a church. That's not what God called you to do. I'm going to go buy a building. And you put yourself in financial trouble. I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's obviously that side of it. So I'm not encouraging foolishness. I'm saying when it's God's calling, it's big. When it's God's calling, it's more than you will look at and think that you can do. Every time, all the time. If God calls Matt and Cassidy and their beautiful family to move to Texas, there will be parts of that that will just be ridiculously overwhelming. No? Yes? Maybe? Yeah, okay. She's <laughs> like, basically all of it. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of all overwhelming. I've watched Stephen's family and what God has done, and, and that's the part. When you see someone else walking in their calling, you latch on to them. <laughs> Going, Mis- misery loves company. Somebody <laughs> else is doing this, and they're struggling, and the same feelings that I feel as a young principal. I really, I told somebody this the other day. I was like, I think there's a reason that you don't see a lot of young principals. <laughs> Because they all freak out and <laughs> nobody wants it until they get old enough to go, oh, yeah, I can handle that. It's overwhelming. And that's why when we say phrases like, you have to learn to walk in the strength of the Lord. It's not, it's not a vaccination. It's truth. Putting feet to that is difficult. We wanna take, I want to take the reins over all the time. I want to do what I can do in my own strength. I am a, I'm a worker. I like working. I work hard. Sometimes I work in my own strength instead of letting God, instead of really operate. I have to fight that all the time. Maybe that's not your struggle. That's, that's one of my struggles is just going, God, I try to do this, and I start loading my plate up with so many different things, and now I've got all these great things. Every one of them is great but I haven't gone back and looked at the calling again. I, haven't, I, didn't, I made that decision without considering the calling and what you're having me do now. And now I'm just saddled with something. Now I haven't left margin in my life for you to be able to move. I have maxed out everything I had. Here's, you know, here's how much I... Here's me. Here's my capabilities. What I'm trying to learn to do in my life that will impact my calling is to live here as far as my energy, as far as what I'm giving out, as far as the decisions that I'm making and being strategic with what I I am choosing to do. Why? So that I have room for you. So that I can reach out of this and I still have something left to give, whether it's financially whether it's time, whether it's emotionally, we like to so max ourselves out in our own strength that we don't leave God any room. How can He move you someplace someplace greater? We're too busy. We've saddled ourselves with so much burden. We can't. 
We can't even hardly let go. We Lord, if I let go of any of this, it's all going to crumble. Uh, in Leviticus, it talks about how it would... <clears throat> These are some of those small things that you read through in, in a book like Leviticus, and you just kind of go, okay, whatever. They would instruct the people, as you would go out and glean in your fields, you're going to go... The, the sowing time is long and it's arduous. The reaping time is short. That's a whole other sermon in itself. You sow, you, you plant, you work the fields, you do the work, you do the work, you work, you work, and then you sow. I mean, then you reap, sorry. So you go out and reap, and what happens? What do they, the Word tell the people not to do? Don't go back and get it again. Don't go back and pick up every little thing. Why? Because there are poor people and there are sick people and there are destitute people and there are people who just need some help. If you go back over and rip it down, then where's the help for them? If you glean everything from your field, how are those people going to get what they need? How are you going to reach out to Ruth? Where's Ruth and Boaz? Boaz instructed his workers. He said, as a matter of fact, not only... The law was already, Leviticus was already there. He knew what he was supposed to do. He instructed them specifically. He reminded them of it to say, leave room. Leave some for her. As a matter of fact, I envision it that it was more of a process of going along. I could see his workers. Just shoveling some, just intentionally letting some fall out of the bag. I'm just going to put this in my pocket now. <laughs> I can see that being the case between Boaz and Ruth. Why? So she can come back and glean. Did he ask her to go over and hand it to him? Oh. Well, there was a part of her walking and her calling that was, that was included in this. But living, not gleaning your whole field, leaving, leaving margin for God to work in your life. I am so working hard at that right now because I don't want to do that. I want to just max everything out. Well, I can work for another 10 minutes today. Let me work for another 10 minutes. Hmm. Let me talk to that kid who was in the hallway today that I keep thinking about. Let me not fill out that one more report that I'm supposed to do and stop and pray for that teacher who's struggling. Our success in Christ is determined by the level of our obedience to the calling, period. That's it. There's, there's your, here's a, hopefully a very simple point for today. If you're going to take some things away, I'm going to try to hit a few. You have to start defining your success merely by your level of obedience. It is not by your income. Can I say that I know that you guys would know this at an intellectual level? If you've been in church for more than about five minutes, you know that it's supposed to not be about these things. And then there's real life, where we still look at ourselves and go, I'm a principal of a high school, and I still drive a busted-up 1996 pickup truck. It's busted. It doesn't have heat. It doesn't. It's so bad that my mother-in-law just felt sorry for me and brought me over an extra car (laughs) when it's cold. This car at least has heat. She did. I was like, yes, ma'am. I'll just take you. That's such a blessing. Got the little squeaky belt. You know. Awesome. 
why am I a principal judge? I'd have fucked it up. Oh, because that's not where I'm going to measure my success. And I know that, and I still have to struggle with the fact that i got a busted pickup truck. And I know it. And I think about this stuff all the time, and I still have to go. I work at a school where the student parking lot is so much nicer than the teacher parking lot. That is so not fair. That 18-year-old just rolled up in a brand new Corvette. I so want to be jealous of homeboy. Yeah, I'm selling uh, the Porsche that my dad had yesterday that I drove. It's a little broken. It's in the shop. He just got me a Corvette. <laughs> you know how they, uh, those, those little flashes in a movie where the guy just reacts and then it kind of comes back into real life and they're really just... <laughs> Give me those keys, son. You're just going to hurt yourself with that. <laughs> Pass right. <laughs> Straight C student. I was a nerd all my life. I've brought him a busted pickle truck. Man, that's a blessing, Caleb. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Calling the things that are not as though they were. You know. <laughs> and I honestly have to be okay with that is my level of success, though. I have to once I get past the human, the fleshly part, after I quit fleshing out is what I call it. I don't know what you guys call it. After I quit fleshing out about it, I have to go, if I'm not happy for that kid, then that shows more on me than it does on the kid. If I am really jealous about this, then I'm not mature enough to handle it. Shame on me. Shame on me. Because I'm not walking in my calling. I'm not secure enough yet in my own calling because I'm still worried about something stupid like a vehicle. Hey, where's your car today? I was going down the interstate and the pop, the top flop flipped off. And I'm like, so he's in a $30,000 truck instead. Okay, but when you look at people in the Bible, that to me some of the most tragic stories are people because they didn't walk in their calling, they didn't reach their potential. That's always the case when I see when I see people like or some of the excuses that we make. Well, you know why I don't fulfill the calling of God is because I have a physical ailment. If I was just stronger... I mean, I've heard people... I mean, kind of, they get, we get kind of a poor me syndrome. Brother Eric, if only you knew. And of course, they'll share that with you. Let me, let me sit. that to me once. <laughs> <laughs> the compassion gift that flows from Eric, of course. Uh, <laughs> but you don't know really what I've been struggling with, brother. I mean, at the same time, neither am I trying to make light of people's difficulties. Sweetie, maybe that is the case. Maybe it has been a, a serious struggle. I know this church has been suffering with a lot of people being sick. I'm not making light of somebody being sick. I'm not making light of somebody being weak. But at the same time, there's that issue. And then there's the issue of walking in your calling. I cannot, I am not allowed, it is not acceptable for me to let whatever this issue is over here keep me from walking in my calling over here. I'm just not allowed. 
and I know it can get hard, but I think of people like Samson who had all the physical giftings that you could ever want. What is the thing that we remember most about him? Unfulfilled potential. And although there was a... Is it a good ending? There was an acceptable ending to his life. They brought him back in compliance with what God had called him to do. And although the final statistics that came in said that he killed more on the last day of his life than he did all the rest of his life, can I give you my take on that for just a second? How many more should he have taken care of had he actually walked in it? I don't know. And that's not my place to know, but how much more should could he, would he have done had he walked in it? Did God intend for Samson to die just an old man? Did God have other stories of great exploits ready for him? But he chose to view things through the natural eye and see and be influenced by what he saw, be influenced by what he desired more than what the calling on his life was. And he had all the religious signs, didn't he? Didn't cut my hair. I did this. I did he was following all the rules, and yet he still ended up not reaching his potential. Ooh. Something for us to consider. <clears throat> what about Saul? Uh, turn with me to First Samuel chapter nine. There you go. Yeah, they. The they. All those they's. Yes. First Samuel chapter 9. I know it would help me reach my calling better. Man, I just wish I had the natural gifting like, uh, you know, like Pastor Matt does. Whew. And if I had gifting like that, I'd be, I'd be a much, I'd be much more able to walk in my calling. Huh? Chapter nine, verse one, of First Samuel. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of the the Ror, the son of the Korath, the son of Aphid, of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul. Thank God for a name that I could actually say. <laughs> yes. An impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Or what we call in the high school realm, the people, the person that everyone hates. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the one that has it all. The physically great gifted one. The one that succeeds greatly without ever even trying. Look down in verse... Um, bu, 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 bu. verse 15 talk about walking in favor talk about having some just anointing on your life 
Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him leader over my people Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked upon my people, for their cry has reached me. This is a guy getting appointed for a job that he had never applied for. That's a big deal. We are now electing you king over our people. No, we are now not electing. We are now choosing you. God himself is choosing you to be the king over his special people. Well, surely Saul, I mean, of course, fulfilled absolutely his potential and everything that he was supposed to do. Chapter 10, verse 6. This is words being spoken to Saul. Verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. That phrase really struck me this morning. I, we were at the coffee, uh, coffee shop, and I turned to Eric, and I, was, I just I kind of went ahead those had one of those, huh, didn't, I don't necessarily know that I meant for it to come out loud, but it just hit me so powerfully. You will be changed into a different person. That is some power, that's a powerful touch from the Lord. You're going to be prophesying, this is going to happen to you, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you, you will be changed. Well, surely that's the sign that I will fulfill my potential in God is to become a new person. So what is it that kept Saul from doing it? Chapter 13. Verse 11. And I'm going to take it that if you are not familiar with these stories, that you will take it upon yourself and go and familiarize yourself with the stories a little bit more. Amen. I know this is a, a, a teaching church, so some of this I'm going, to, I'm going to presume that you know some of the stuff in between. And if you don't, just go look or go ask. Chapter 13, verse 11. What have you done, asked Samuel? Saul replied, When I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, to me that's almost like he's blaming it on Samuel. I dislike it to a great extent when my children try to do that. I want to lovingly lay hands on them when they do things like that. Why did you do that? Well, because Olivia... uh, not the right answer. Try it again. No, but Dad, she really did. That may be true. That is not the reason that you punched her in the arm. You punched her in the arm because you chose to deal with your anger by punching her in the arm. You made a decision. But she... Yes. Here we go. (laughs) This is not just a seven-year-old problem. A seven-year-old's problem. This is the same thing that I get from my high school students when I was disciplinarian. 
uh, see what had happened, Mr. Sutherland, uh, was that uh, they did this, and uh, that is why I cheated on the test. <laughs> it's the teacher's fault because, of course, no, this was going to be on the test. It was the other person's fault because they were just so thinking smart. They knew, you know, they knew it's everybody's fault. But I had a good reason, Mr. Tuck. Discussions I'm having with my seven-year-old. I'm having with an 18-year-old. Same discussions I'm having with my teachers. Uh, Mr. So-and-so, I needed you to get this in. I asked you to get this in by this time. Hasn't taken place. I need, I need you to, listen to me, I need you to do this for me. I understand you're busy. I need you to get this done right now. Oh, see what happened was that... <laughs> Great. I really don't care. I still need it. Thanks. We see that all the way through the Bible. It's just a normal thing. Whose fault is it, Adam? Uh, the woman. <laughs> Whose fault is it, Eve? The, 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 the serpent. Right, the serpent. You, I mean, the woman that you gave me, yeah. What have you done? Saul replied, When I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, that you were late, O oh great prophet man, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, the bad guys were coming in, I thought, huh, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. To me, that sounds like a religious cover-up. Of course, you all have never done this. <laughs> I have done this before. I have blamed gossip on praying for someone. Mandy, did you hear about this? I mean, I'm just telling you so we can pray, you know. Uh, not so much. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I felt compelled to act out of my calling and what was correct because I thought and I saw and I felt. Hmm. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. This is the parable of, on, uh, starting in verse 14, parable of talent. talent. Yeah, there's more than one parable there, but so much. All right, thanks. Thank you. Got ahead of myself there. So what's the story of the talents? We know this, right? One man is given how many talents? Five. Another man is given two. Another man is given. There's only <laughs> right. Five was the most. Right. Okay. Five, two, and one. Your calling is not. You will not be judged whether you have five or two or one. The Bible talks very clearly about how we shouldn't compare ourselves one to another. How easy is that? For, I mean, let's just be real with each other. How easy is that for us to do that? How much do you want to do that? How much do you want to look at a church that's meeting in a garage and try to compare it to the church that's down the street or that's meeting in the whatever? 
I hope that you guys take advantage and understanding that those of you that God is calling here to this local body, that you will not despise this place, that you will not be comparing your two talents with someone else's five talents. My wife and I are actually in a large church right now. For the first time in our lives, we're in a church that, for our neck of the woods, that is a huge church. I know all you folks in Texas do things bigger and better, but for us, it's a gigantic church. Thousands of people in attendance every weekend. It's so unique for us to be there because we've always been in a smaller church. But we've actually found this. When you're in a smaller church, you can get into the idea of where you're always kind of trying to defend why you're smaller. Kind of a little man syndrome. Well, we just meet in the garage. Or we just meet in this. And it's just small. But, but, but we're good. Hey, this is where you're called to be operating your calling. Quit comparing yourself. Because it doesn't really change that much when you're in a big church. Can I just tell you? You go to a big church, and what are, they, what are you doing there? People are throwing arrows at you because you're a big church. So you're having to defend yourself Why you go to a big church. Wait a minute. I was just having to defend myself for going to a small church because it's small. Now I'm having to defend myself for going to a big church because it's large. This is stupid. God called me to be here. If you got a problem with that, take it up with him. <laughs> We're going to walk in what we do. We're going to obey what he says. If he tells us to go here, we go there. If it costs me everything, I'm still supposed to go there. If it hurts, if it's hard, I go there. Sometimes we make this a little bit more difficult than it needs to be. God tells you, you do. That's hard. And when it gets hard, that's when people fish around that. So we get the parable of the talents here. You've been given a calling. God is going to take a look at what we do with that calling. Uh, skip down to the guy with one. Where is that? 24. Thank you. Then the man who had received the one talent came... Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. You'll notice, you know, since I'm just so advanced in all my stuff. No, I'm just, it's ridiculously obvious. Obviously, you know this. You notice what Saul said? Do you notice where the focus of what Saul said? Do you notice where the focus of this guy with one talent is? It's on the eye. It's on the eye. Here's what I thought. I knew. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. There's this disconnect from the calling. I can't imagine going up before the obviously parable, but going up before the master and really thinking he had done a good job. I really think he came there and just thought, here you go. I think he was just clueless because he was so focused on the eye, he never had the perspective that there could be more. He never even had enough smarts to figure out what the other guys were doing. Can you, like, loan me one of yours, Mr. I got five and I got another five. Can I at least double mine? 
I'll pay you back, you know, later. Nothing. Because of the eye. So how do you fulfill your calling? I mean, here's, here's the ultimate part. We can, I can use 20 other examples, biblical examples of people who failed to answer their calling, and we could all use 100 in our own lives of people or more. And can I tell you that I think some of those people may even be in positions that look successful in the world's end? Can I tell you that when I go before the Lord, He will address me by my calling. He will not call me and say, Principal, Wade Sutherland, step forward. Can I just tell you that I am not a principal? I am not a principal. I'm working... I work for a school in the role of principal, but I am not a principal. I am not defined by what I do as a job. I am a man of God walking in my calling who works as a principal. I am not a principal. Because what happens when God moves me? What happens if God puts me in another place? What happens if I get demoted to assistant principal? Maybe that's exactly what God wants me to do. So I will shut up, swallow my pride, and step down if I have to. Or step over. Or what if I just become and go back and teach? Ooh. 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 So what? Because I am not the principal. I'm walking in my calling. I'm a man of God who's walking in my calling. Who are you? What are you doing? Are you a lab tech? Are you a secretary? No. You're a man or woman of God who needs to be walking in their calling. And if that's through the ministry of being a secretary, what a great place to learn how to serve with a wonderful heart. If you're the CEO of the biggest company in the universe, what a great place to learn how to manage resources. What a great place to grow the kingdom. You have so many resources at your hand. You can train. You can hire. And yet, God does not the obedience is where the success level is. Because we look at we can't look at it through the world's eyes. But, but that's all that we see. We have to fight against that. Heard this the other day. We have to be able to be both a bison and a giraffe. What? Furry and long necked, what's the deal? Characteristics of these of these animals. A bison point of view, head down. They just kind of walk along, right? Walk along focused on what's there in their immediate, in the immediacy of what goes on. Versus a giraffe that has to, and it, where does it get its food? It gets its food from up. It's got to look up. Very simple, very elementary illustration of what we're supposed to be as Christians. Now, the Bible says it this way in Colossians where it says to set your mind on the things that are eternal. Set your heart on things eternal. Set your heart on what God is calling you to do. And you need to up-periscope every once in a while. If you're a worker bee like me, you need to up-periscope and go, can I still see the calling? (laughs) Is the calling anywhere in my field of view? Or have I drifted somewhere and I'm no longer even able to find the calling? Or, yep, Right on track. 
can't even make out all the details yet. But I know, I got, I got my spot on this map and that's exactly where I'm heading. Let me check my maps, let me check my coordinates. We still online? Yep, we're good. We have to do that on a consistent basis. One of the things that we need to help us to, to be able to fulfill our calling is this. We have to get over the idea that we always have to be right. You have to get over the idea that you're going to be right all the time. Can I tell you how hard that is for nerds like me? Can I tell you how difficult that is for people who like to be right? I know that's just a me thing. I get it. That's just me. Just me. I'm so alone. Uh, you have to get over being right because God is going to put you in places. <laughs> Again, if the vision is too big for you, I mean, if the, if the task is too big for you, then guess what? You are bound to mess up. Does that make any sense? I hope this doesn't beat you down. I hope you go, oh, I struggle sometimes so hard about wanting to be right and wanting to do everything properly. And I'm going to kind of balance this out here in just a second. But, God, are you telling me to do this? If I look like a chump, I'm still going to go do this. If I have to go back on the words that I just said, because I shouldn't have said them, I'm going to go back on the, and I'm, I'm going to explain that and, and repent before somebody, but I feel stupid because I wasn't right. We really have to get over that. Um, Christy, can you hand me that red book right there? I, this is from a, absolutely just a, a leadership book, Secular Principles. but God spoke to me through it. So, um, it's about companies who were good and went to great companies. Title of the book, Good to Great. No, those who turn into great uh, are motivated by a deep creative urge and an inner compulsion for sheer unadulterated excellence for its own sake. Those who build and perpetuate mediocrity, in contrast, are motivated more by the fear of being left behind. The really people, companies that go into the great mold are the ones that are doing it right because it's just right. They don't care if they lose money. They don't care if they lose. They just do it because it's right. The ones that stay at a mediocre level are always driven by fear of being left behind. Is that an easy enough transition for us as believers? Is that an easy enough object lesson that we see in the real world, those of us, if we stay being driven by fear, I don't want to have another baby because I'm afraid. I don't want to move in this job. I don't want to do this because I'm afraid that something may happen. I don't want to have this. Uh, I don't want to come to a small church because I'm afraid. Uh, I have these insecurities and people may know that I'm not really this awesomely perfect person and so I'm afraid to do that. Guess what? We already know that. <laughs> Get over it. Y'all ever know that internal dialogue that kind of runs with some of you that 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 you're always worried about how you look and how you how what people think about you. You do realize that most people have that same dialogue going on, so they're really not even thinking about you most of the time <laughs> because they're too worried that you might be thinking about them. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So get over it. <laughs> Acknowledge it. Accept it. Move on. 
But we do these things because we are, we are people driven by fear. Turn on the news. What is, what is news all about, especially nowadays? Back in my day, we didn't. it's about fear. If you don't give your child these vitamins, they're going to explode. What? Actually, I don't think they will. I think they'll be okay. If you don't buy this car, you will be the most unhappy person ever. No, really, I'm going to be okay. 96 busted drunk. Happy. Thank you, Jesus, for my truck. Don't be driven by fear. Be driven by that same spirit that was in Daniel to be excellent. To be unfaltering in your calling. Daniel, purpose in his heart, what? Daniel 1.8, not to defile himself. Not to take within himself the same, same things that the world does. Don't settle out to what the world is doing because we have the only hope. We have the only eternal thing that there is and we let people push us around sometimes from temporal, stupid things. Sorry, I couldn't come up with a better word than stupid, but that's all that came there. Have y'all seen those little uh, uh, posters? All I, all I needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. Share, be nice. You know, all that good stuff. I really feel like high school is a good microcosm because I spend so much time there working. <laughs> you know, we let the mean people push the good people around. We let the world have more of an influence on the church and us, let's, let's, us and how we think and how we look at ourselves in the mirror, men and women, and how we operate and how we can't be happy unless we have fill in the blank. And we're not doing enough of this. Well, we are impacting those around us. Where we're walking in our calling that will transform the people who are hungry and dying and hurt around us. You want to talk about making an impact? You start walking in your calling, it will be the most difficult, struggle, awesome, amazing, anointed fight that you will ever be in. And you'll have to do it every day. There are no shortcuts that we can do in this, unfortunately. We all want it. We all want it to be there. You cannot shortcut this process. But why would you want to shortcut it? How many more things do you learn by watching God provide for Ruth? I cry. The first probably five times I ever read that, I think I cried every time. Because I saw God's great compassion. I saw the heart of Ruth reaching out to be, to do, to go. That struck a chord in me. And then I saw God's provision just saying, don't you ever worry about your provision. Don't you ever worry about those things because God Almighty will take care of you. When you lay it all out, when you, when you put the faith, when you walk in the faith, when you walk in the calling... The wind, that's when it talks about when the windows of heaven will be open. You don't get to the windows of heaven if you're, so, if you're always operating in fear. No, God, I'll go ahead and I'll make the provision for myself because it's really hard to step out and change jobs and move and be. And it's just really difficult. It's really hard to do the things that need to be done 
So I'm going to hedge my bet just a little bit. I'm going to do it just in case you don't answer me that I'll still have an out. If you're still walking where you have an out, my job right now has me where if God is not with me, I will fail. I am not used to being in a place where I will fail. I will fail. It is a surety in my brain. I will fail. Unless God calls me. And and I'm I'm wrapping this up here. But one other thing that I wanted to bring out and that, that reminds me of this, the calling is that God wants you. God called me to be the principal of a high school. Crazy as that is in my little brain. Why? He wants me. If he wanted Eric, he would have called Eric to do it. If he wanted somebody geared and built and if he would have wanted somebody different with a different personality, then that's who he should have called. But he called me. So I'm going to work and I fight daily to try to do just be me in this role. Because again, I'm not, I am not a principal. I am Wade Sutherland called of God. So I'm just going to keep being Wade Sutherland called of God with a principal's mantle. And if one day that changes to another type of mantle, then it will still be Wade Sutherland now operating just with a different mantle on. Don't let your calling, don't lessen your calling because of our own insecurities and who we are. If you're funny, well then be funny. If you're serious, well then be serious. If you're ADD, well then be ADD. Is that okay to say? Is that okay? Everybody's like, awesome. <laughs> Woo! Because that was me. I wasn't with you until the last one. Thanks. B, insert name here, wearing the mantle that God put with you. Can I tell you that is so much more liberating? The one compliment that I've gotten from different people this year, and I'm going to share it not because, just as a teaching point, the one compliment that has meant a lot to me this year from teachers and parents, especially from the teachers and staff. You stepped into this principal's role and although you were under somebody as a mentor, we don't feel like you're at all trying to reproduce what they did. You're being your own leader. Yes! Because that's hard. (laughs) And it hurts my feelings. And I go home and doubt myself every day. I don't think I can do this. But yeah. Just seeing that I'm, try- I'm trying to walk in my calling and that compliment is a word from God for me sometimes when I'm discouraged to just say, you're walking in it. Keep going. Don't get discouraged. Two things and then I'm done. There's a book written by uh, Eugene Peterson and, and it took a phrase from some crazy person who made this phrase, but it says, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's the title of the book. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Can I tell you, all of this can come down to today is this. Walk in your calling by a long obedience in the same direction. 
fight for your calling. Value your calling. Work at your calling by a long obedience in the same direction. It will be hard, but God will be with you. You will have to fight and learn what it is to walk in integrity, but God will be with you. It's not... God reveals Himself through the difficult times. And when you're walking, when you really make it a, a purpose in your heart to walk in your calling, He will provide many opportunities for Himself to be made known to you. Both through triumphs and through defeats. Walk in your calling. By a long obedience to the same direction. Amen. Let's pray. Father and God, um, Lord, You have put within my heart and uh, just an absolute obsession about people walking in their calling, God. So I just pray right now, Lord, may we all be able to walk in our calling. God, what a transformation we will make in this church, in our homes, in our families, in this city, in this region, in the entire world when we all become fully committed to walking in our calling. God, may we not be distracted by fear, by hurt, by discouragement. God, give us strength. Give us eyes to see. Lord, help us to up-periscope from being so focused on the things that are around us, from being so maxed out in our lives, Lord, that we can look up, we can set our heart on the eternal, and know that we must answer this call. God, we just love You. I pray Your blessings. I pray Your strength upon each person here, Lord.